0: So I went from crutches to a boot to regular shoe a couple of days, but I'm still not ready to stand up. So I'm going to sit down here and um, ask you to prepare your communion elements. What you have in your hands is the bread and the cup represented in the wafer and the little cup of the fruit of the vine. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to the table of the Lord, recognizing this is a time in which we remember that we are believers together, one with one another, that we are his body by his doing, that we are related to one another and to him by faith in Christ. And it's a miracle that this takes place. We have a tangible representation of a physical reality, that Christ really did come to earth in the form of flesh. He really did live, he really did die, he really did rise from the dead, he really did shed his blood for us. But it's not just a physical reality, it is a spiritual reality as well. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Titus, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all take part in our miraculous regeneration. When, when we believe in Christ, it's not just, well, yeah, I believe that. No, it is a process by which the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of our sin, enlivens our heart and our mind to believe, and he makes us one with him. He, he washes us, he regenerates us. We were dead and now we're alive. We're going to be talking about that ministry of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians this morning. And so it is well for us to tie in all of the Trinity with the Lord's table this morning. The Father sent his Son to die for us. And when we believe it is the Holy Spirit of God who regenerates us and cleanses us and washes us of all our sins. So as we remember that, would you take a moment and perhaps... You've been caught unawares or off guard or not quite ready to worship this morning. Maybe the songs have set the tone for you, but perhaps you need to talk to God. Maybe there is something that you need to confess to him. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a small thing. But would you take a moment to contemplate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the table this morning? And then we'll partake together. Father, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous. You are just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And each and every one of us know this morning that we could not even begin to remember all the things in which we've done and ways in which we have failed. But we're grateful for this bread and this cup that represents to us the washing of regeneration and renewing by your Holy Spirit in which we were made alive. And So together, as one body, as one church, as one family, we partake of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ together, being united with him in one spirit. In his name we pray, amen. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of eternal life. And God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, moving along, not at the greatest clip, but we are moving along in 1 Corinthians. Our passage this morning is 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. And I invite you, if you are able to, whether you had surgery in your foot or not, if you're able to uh, stand as we read God's word together, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6 6 through 16, the word of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Prince of Preachers, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, it is said when he approached the pulpit each Sunday, would say these words, recite them over and over again to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I do that too. I think every pastor does or should. Like Spurgeon, we know that we are powerless apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach God's people God's Word. And in our passage this morning, the ministry of the Holy Holy Spirit is Coming into a fuller understanding last week, Paul introduced the ministry of the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5 where he said, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, the spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. The Apostle Paul wanted the faith of the Corinthians, and he wants our faith not to rest in him or any person or anything, but in the power of God as revealed by his Holy Spirit. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that it is the Holy Spirit of God who reveals God's power and God's truth to us. Now, this morning, uh, most most of the passage we're going to look at deals with the wisdom of God, But we're going to see that this wisdom of God is what is communicated and revealed by his Holy Spirit. Um, In the previous verses, verses 4 and 5, in the previous chapter, one might conclude that Paul's not interested in wisdom at all. He just says wisdom is is worldly. But no, he's going to say, no, there is a true wisdom of God, and he's going to relate that wisdom through the Holy Spirit. So we jump into the first couple verses, a few verses, 6 through 9, where we see God's wisdom is eternal and God's wisdom is foreordained. And he's going to make a contrast between the wisdom of the world. God's wisdom is eternal and it is foreordained. It is providential. It is, it is predestined. It is something that God planned before all time. And we see this in verses 6 through 9. Verse 6 says, Yet we do speak wisdom. Even though I've been talking about how wisdom is useless in the world, he says there is a wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of the age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So we are talking about wisdom, he said. There is a true wisdom and not the so-called wisdom of the world. I'm going to list a number of things that he says about this wisdom, so keep up with me. The first thing is to define this wisdom. God's wisdom is the gospel. Knowing the context, remembering the context of chapter 1, first part of chapter 2. Remember in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, He said, But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified, Christ preached. That is the wisdom in context. God is is full of wisdom. The Old Testament idea of chakmah, there's wisdom literature, the Proverbs, the Psalms, there's all sorts of wisdom for living. But the specific wisdom that he's speaking of here is the wisdom of the cross of Christ that the world views as foolishness. So God's wisdom is the gospel. We define it. Second of all, God's wisdom is understood by the mature. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Since chapter 1 verse 17, Paul has contrasted foolishness and wisdom, man's methods, the cross, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. The Corinthians are supposed to be in the category of those who are being saved, those who are called. But Paul is now going to shift and pivot a little bit to show that though they are, even though that they're saved, they're not acting very mature. Next week we'll see more of that. They're not acting very spiritual. They have all that they need, but they're not living and acting as if they are believers. He said, but if you are spiritually astute, if you're paying attention, he says, you will understand this wisdom of the gospel that it far outstrips anything of the world. Next, God's wisdom is Eternal. God's wisdom is not worldly. It is not temporary. He says, we speak the wisdom among among those who mature. A wisdom, however, he says, and he describes it and defines it negatively, not of this age, not of the rulers of this age. The rulers of this age, he's going to talk about them in a minute. It would be the the religious leaders. It would be the political leaders. We we generally think that uh, leaders and rulers of the the world in which we live, they should possess some sort of wisdom in leading people. Don't we assume that? Or we should. One would think, wouldn't one? Unless you believe in depravity. But the world... Lee wisdom would say well yes this is the world the wisdom of rulers of this age this age is temporary like we said a couple of weeks ago it's about this long eternity past eternity future but there's this age and the wisdom of this age is passing away it is weak it cannot be trusted it is temporal it is going away But God's wisdom is is eternal because he says in verse seven, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. You see that in one phrase, God's wisdom is from eternity to eternity before the ages, before time began Until our glory, when the consummation of all things comes upon us and we are with Christ. From eternity to eternity, that is God's wisdom. It is eternal. It does not stop. It does not begin. It does not stop. It just is. God's wisdom is eternal compared to the wisdom of this world, which we trust in sometimes, which we should not trust in. And that's what he's been saying all along. Next, God's wisdom is mysterious. In other words, it is providentially hidden. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, musterion. I love that word. It means something that was, was hidden and has now been revealed. The hidden wisdom, it says, which God predestined before the ages. God hid this. Why did he hide it? Why is it mysterious? Well, because the Jews wouldn't have understood it. The mystery of the gospel is that uh, God became a man, was born in a manger, grew up in in Nazareth. He was uh, rejected by the nation. He would would be crucified. He would die. That wasn't the Messiah that they thought of. They thought the Messiah was going to be the strong political ruler. And that's part of the mystery of the gospel, that he had a plan predestined before the ages that included the the very power of the gospel, the topsy-turvy nature of the gospel. The world looks at what is strong, and God uses what is weak. The, The world looks at what is wise, and God uses what appears to be foolish. That is the principle, the fundamental principle of the gospel. It is also mysterious because The world just views it as weak. His entire life and death is actually the power of God. And God chose a way to to display his power that the world would not recognize so it was mysteriously hidden before time. But this wisdom is providentially revealed. That's the next point. God predestined before the ages to our glory. He predestined it before the ages to our glory. It is revealed. He decided and planned the mystery of the cross before the foundation of the world. And when Christ came on the scene, he revealed the glory of God. He revealed the the glory of the cross when Christ came to earth. And lastly, God's wisdom is unfathomable, incomprehensible. The wisdom, he says in verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was humanly inconceivable that God would do it that way. The rulers of the age did not understand the wisdom of God because God hid it from them. That was part of the plan. Because if not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But the Lord of glory had to be crucified. Otherwise, there is what? No salvation. It was all part of the plan. So he's not saying, well, hey, cut them some slack, because if they would have known, they wouldn't have crucified him. That's not the point. The point is, had he not been crucified, there would be no salvation. It was part of the plan all along. Of course, they would not have crucified him had they known the plan but he must be crucified. That was the wisdom of God. And yet it means for us the unfathomable riches of glory. Verse 9, he says, but just as it is written, and he's quoting, we think, uh, Isaiah 64, verses 3 through 5, it's kind of uncertain. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. This inconceivable, hidden mystery of Christ coming and being crucified in times past, no one had seen it before. No one had heard of such a thing. No one could even conceive of such a thing. And yet God preserved it and planned it for those who love him. Notice he doesn't say those who believe in him because Paul, I think, wants to make a point that it's it's not just about knowledge, uh, tipping his hat against the Gnostics who would say as long as you have knowledge, you're saved. No, there is a supernatural aspect of salvation and a supernatural aspect of that truth being made known to us through the Holy Spirit, which we're getting to. But God has prepared it for those who love him, those who love him, believe in him, those who believe in him, love him. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. You cannot separate loving him and believing in him. They go together. But Paul makes the point here, those who love him. In Isaiah 64, it is near the end of the book, and Isaiah is praying for God to to bring an end to all things and and to bring redemption, particularly he's praying for final judgment. And he longs for the days of old of the miraculous signs like were seen at Mount Sinai when the law was given. And he says in Isaiah 64:3, When you did awesome things which we did not expect. Didn't see that coming. You came down the mountains, quaked at your presence. For from days of old they had not heard or perceived by ear. Nor had they seen a God like you who acts in behalf of those who wait for him. It had never been seen before. No one expected it to happen. So in the day of the gospel, no one expected God to show up and do things this way. Two lessons for us. God's plan before time included us sharing in his glory before the foundation of the world. His plan for you, for me, for us, was to share in his glory. Notice in verse 7, before the ages to our glory. In verse 8, they crucified the Lord of glory. He prepared these things for those who love him. His glory in some way, I don't understand it, and I think that's part of the mystery here. In some way, we participate in the glory of God And when he returns and when we are with him, we have been predestined to participate in the glory of Christ for all of eternity. That was part of the plan. So hang on. There's something better around the corner for you, okay? And I don't know where you are at this morning. Maybe you think your life is of little account. Maybe you're tired of the suffering, maybe you're tired of the pain, maybe you're tired of the fact that people don't notice you, they disregard you, you, they despise you. Your life does not seem to be worth much. You may think that you have endured for such a long time, but life is short and eternity is long. and God's glory is great. This lifetime will one day, and whatever suffering you are in right now, this suffering will be an afterthought. Somehow you'll have maybe some cognizance, some memory, but it will be part of the glory. In fact, Second Corinthians three, Paul will say in his second, his next letter—not his second, but his next letter. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And I encourage you this morning to not lose heart. And what is Paul talking about in Second Corinthians thirteen, three rather? Because of the resurrection, because of the cross of Christ, we do not lose heart. In the same way, he's saying the same thing. God, because of the cross of Christ, has prepared inconceivable things for us. We do not lose heart, he says in 2 Corinthians 3.16. Though our outer man is decaying, is it not? Yes, it is. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It's the glory to be revealed. While we look not at the things which are seen and temporary in the wisdom of the world, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're going to go away and they're weak and not worthy of our attention. But the things which are not seen are eternal eternal. And they are glorious. Hang on, okay? Help is on the way. Second of all, we should expect that he will do more than we expect. Always. We should expect that God will always do more than we expected. And Doesn't he do that sometimes in your life? I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming. I prayed for this and he gave me that. And his ways are always better. We say that. it's God's ways are always true, but they always are unexpected to us. So expect that. Raise your sights a little bit. Ephesians 3.20 says, and I think we have it on the screen, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Reminds us of that verse in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9. Eyes which have not seen, ears which have not heard. All, whatever we could have entered into our heart, God has prepared for those who love him. But whatever whatever we ask or think he is able to do far beyond that, according to the power that works within us. What is the power that works within us? It's the power of the Spirit. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the end of it. He is able. Expect that he will do more than you expect. Raise your expectations. So the subject has been about wisdom. And and Paul now turns from the content of this wisdom, which is the gospel, the cross, cross of Christ, And he turns his attention from that to how we know that. What are the means by which the gospel is known to us? How does God communicate this wisdom, this mystery? How was it which was hidden in times past before the ages? How is that now made known to us? And it is very simple. God's wisdom is revealed by his spirit. God's wisdom comes to us and is revealed by his spirit. Verse 10, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. God's Spirit alone fully knows God. When it says God searches and therefore, he understands everything of God. And Paul uses this human example to say, okay, who knows what's in you except you, right? Someone can come up to you and say, well, I know what you're thinking. You're, you want hamburgers for lunch. You no, know, I was thinking pizza. Well, you looked hungry to me. Nobody knows what's in your heart. And no one knows what is in the full mind of God except the Spirit of God. Why? Because the Spirit is God. So God's Spirit alone fully knows God, because He is God. second thing we see is that God has given His Spirit to us. God has given His Spirit to us. And in 12a, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Note that Paul says, We have received The spirit who was from God and the we is emphatic here as opposed to the spirit of the world, as opposed to those who do not have the spirit. We have received the spirit of God, the very spirit who is God, the very spirit who knows all of God, who the, the very spirit who knows all of the wisdom of God has been given to every believer in Jesus Christ. So you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a deacon, you don't have to be an elder to understand the things of God because the Spirit of God has given you that, because the Spirit of God lives in you. And God's Spirit is given to communicate spiritual truth. That's the very reason, it says, one of the very reasons. God's Spirit given to communicate, to reveal to us spiritual truth. We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that, whenever ever you see so that in the scriptures, it's, it tells you something. This is the reason. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Remember, wisdom, when he's talking about wisdom here, the mystery, and so the things freely given to us is salvation through the Messiah crucified. That's what this wisdom is that is freely given to us. And it is God's Spirit who supernaturally communicates those who believe in him. That's why you believe in him, because he's communicated it to you by his Spirit and the reason we receive the spirit of god is so that we would know his full message to us which things we speak verse 13 not with words taught by human wisdom not the worldly wisdom worldly ideas worldly philosophies but the things taught by the spirit and this last phrase is really hard to to interpret which says combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. It literally, it says in, in the original, combining spiritual with spiritual. Combining spiritual with spiritual, the various versions. Your ver- version may say uh, he combines uh, spiritual ideas to spiritual people. He combines, com- he, he communicates spiritual thoughts to those who have the spirit. Basically, that is the idea that we can only understand spiritual truth, spiritual people understand it because we have the Spirit of God. And there is this supernatural connection, this pipeline between us and the Spirit that he communicates to us. He doesn't bypass the Word of God, by the way, but he communicates it to us in a spiritual way. And he's telling the Corinthians... You need to pay attention to what God has revealed to you by his spirit in reminding them that they do indeed possess the spirit of God. So, a couple of lessons here. Like salvation, the Holy Spirit is freely given. Not earned, not deserved, not sought after, nor achieved. The Holy Spirit is not something that after you become a Christian, you seek and you pray and you plead and you cry and you beg and ask God to give to you. If you do not have the spirit of Christ, Paul says in Romans 8, you do not belong to him. Like we saw in in Titus 3, he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God, you're not saved. And we are made to drink of the Spirit at the moment that we believe in Him. So, like salvation, for by grace you have been saved through faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us. Because, he said, we have received the Spirit of God because it was given to us freely. Second of all, we have been given God's Spirit that we may know God's grace spirit is in our life that we would know his grace in our life that we would know all that has been freely given to us salvation in all of God's gifts are gifts of grace and they are delivered they are communicated they are they are activated they are empowered only by the Holy Spirit of God and so when we have the Holy Spirit, we understand all of the gifts of grace and all the grace affords us because he communicates that to us. Now Paul then is going to make a distinction between those who have the Spirit and those who do not have the Spirit. He said to the, to the Corinthians, you have been given the Holy Spirit, you may not be mature, But you have been given the Holy Spirit. You do have the ability to understand. But he's going to now divide humanity. And that's what we see in verses 14 through 16. God's wisdom divides humanity. The cross of Christ divides humanity. The cross of Christ, the gospel, puts some people on one side and some on the other. There are those who are believers and those who are not. We've seen this so far the wisdom of God, which is the cross of Christ. It divides humanity into to two groups. There are those who believe and there are those who do not. There are those who are perishing and there are those who are being saved. There are those who trust in, in God and those who trust in man's devices. There is the natural man and the spiritual man that we're going to see here. And he says in verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of god because they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised paul is making contrasts all the way through the book so far and here's a new one the natural man versus the spiritual man The larger point that Paul is making to the Corinthians is that they're not thinking and acting and living like they have the Holy Spirit. They're not mature, therefore they are not spiritual. They're not acting spiritual. But the natural man is an unbeliever. Let's look at that. The natural man is an unbeliever. The natural man is anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit. The natural man is anyone who does not possess the Holy Spirit. And how do you possess the Holy Spirit? By faith in Christ. When you place your faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Every person, by the way, is a natural man until he or she comes to Christ. You were once a natural man or woman. You were a natural person until you came to Christ. By the way, we should not be surprised when unbelievers do what comes naturally to them, should we? And sometimes we are, oh, I'm just aghast. I can't believe that they would be, do something like that. Really? can't believe that the world would be going the way that it is. Why would you be surprised at that? Because that is the natural way of the world. It is the way of the, ant- the spirit of the Antichrist, really. It is the way of depravity. It is the way of death. And we should never be surprised when unbelievers do what comes perfectly naturally to them. So the natural man is an unbeliever. Next, we see that the unbeliever does not and cannot understand the gospel. He says, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. He's been talking about that. The world thinks the cross of Christ is foolishness because it doesn't make sense. It's weak. And so he willfully rejects the cross of Christ as foolish. That is how the world views Jesus Christ, as foolishness. And he goes on to say, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He not only does not understand, he's not able to. He cannot because they're spiritually appraised or discerned or judged. That's what that word means. The unbeliever does not have the ability to understand spiritual truth of the gospel. He cannot understand them because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he is not, he's not equipped with that device, if you will, that communicates spiritual truth, who is the Holy Spirit of God. It's like taking an old radio that has an FM, AM, and FM dial, and you're trying to get your favorite website on your radio. You're not going to get there, right? Yeah, it's going into the airwaves, but it's not the same as the Internet, is it? It's a totally different way of communicating. And the natural man does not have the equipment, does not have the ability. Have you ever wondered what you've – maybe you've talked to family members and friends – about the gospel, look, salvation is is by grace through faith. It's a, it's a gift that God gives to you because he loves you more than anything. And people say, nah, not interested. And you think, what? Why would you not be interested in this? I don't know. It's not. They don't understand it. That's why. Because the Holy Spirit has not convicted them of sin and righteousness and judgment And it's not just a, yeah, that's a good deal, I think I'll take it. No, they have to be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment by the Holy Spirit. And their eyes have to be opened, and they have not. They cannot understand the things of God. And we need to remember that in evangelism. This explains, by the way, chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the Christ, excuse me, the word, Uh, of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We understand it's the power of God, but to the world, it's foolishness. Why? They don't understand it. Why? Because they're perishing. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they don't believe. Why? Because they're lost. And it's not until God convicts them and the Spirit of God renews them that they're able to understand a lesson for us. We can never convince anyone of the gospel. You can't do it. You don't save anyone. And I know you but we that doesn't leave us give us you know leave us off the hook. Yes, we're supposed to give the gospel. And yes, we're supposed to give reasons for the hope that is within us. And yes, we should have some level of understanding of apologetics and answer people's questions, but when it comes down to it, We cannot convince anyone of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the unique role of the Holy Spirit. Am I right? Or is God right? I mean, yes. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen and amen. It is God's work. He uses us. We are His tools. We are the means by which the Holy Spirit communicates to people the gospel in a physical way, but it is not by our charm, it's not by our wit, it's not by our intelligence, it's not by our fancy stories or outlines that we've memorized that we bring anyone to Christ. It is only the work of God because they cannot understand it until God gives them that understanding. There is no evangelism without the Holy Spirit. That means when we are evangelizing and telling people about Christ, we would do well to remember that this is not up to us, that we would trust in God rather than trust in ourselves. That's the point of what Paul has been making all along. People cannot understand the gospel without the Holy Spirit drawing them, opening their eyes to see and understand that Christ has been crucified. And unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to them, to them, The gospel is nothing but foolishness. But still, be obedient. Because he will not do it without us, will he? He's not about sending angels to people to give them the gospel. He's about sending us to people to give them the gospel. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, we have the Holy Spirit for the very purpose of winning people to Christ, which he does. And we must be faithful to do so. Verses 15 and 16 then, verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. The word of praise means to discern or basically to make a a right judgment about something. And he who is spiritual discerns and and evaluates all things. In other words, this. the, The spiritual person evaluates everything spiritually. Got that? The spiritual person evaluates everything spiritually. In general... Paul is making the distinction between the saved and the unsaved, but he's also making a distinction between spiritually mature Christians and the immature Christian, which we're going to get to next week, the babes in Christ. But here he's saying the spiritual person evaluates everything spiritually. He who is spiritual is the one who has received the Spirit of God and responds by understanding the true wisdom of God and the gospel And as Christians, that means we examine every aspect of life. We see everything is spiritual. We don't think, well, I have a physical life. I've got a financial life. I've got a family life and a business life. Everything is spiritual. Everything that we do is spiritual. What we eat is spiritual. How we vote is spiritual. How we uh, take care of our bodies. How we parent how we study the Bible. Everything that we do is spiritual. And he who is spiritual, and Paul is talking about those who have moved on and become spiritually astute, they discern and make light, spiritual light of everything. The spiritually mature Christian is is able to do that by the Spirit, able to understand spiritual things. On the other hand, he said, he himself is appraised by no one. I think the idea here is... um, He's gonna talk about this in chapter four, where Paul says, basically, I don't care what people think about me. I really don't care. The only one who judges me is God. And so the, the the person who is not spiritual, who is the unbeliever, who does not have the spirit, does not have any say in your life, cannot judge you according to your spirituality. They may. In fact, they will. In fact, if you are faithfully living the spiritual life, which he's talking about, you're going to be misunderstood. And you are going to be judged by the world, but you cannot be, according to God's standard. In verse 16, then he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Who has known the mind of the Lord that we should instruct him? Worldly wisdom is foolish. Worldly wisdom is foolish. He's been saying that all along. In fact, Isaiah 40:12. this is what he's referring to here. Isaiah says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand and marked off the heavens by a span that is from thumb to little finger, calculated the dust of the earth by the measures? Do you know how much dust there is? Do you, do you know? Who's weighed the mountains in the balance? Do you know what the, the mountains of the world weigh? Surely you must know that. And the hills and a pair of scales. And who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Have you told the Spirit what to do? Do you have so much knowledge that you tell God what to do because he's wrong and you're right? Or as his counselor has informed him, who has done that? The world does that all the time. Worldly wisdom is foolish. That's what Paul is saying in verse 16. Who's not known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him? Nobody. Of course, nobody could do that. That is the wisdom of the world. There is no one believer or unbeliever who knows what God knows. And there is no one who knows more than him. They may think that they do, but they do not. In order that they may say to God, well, I think you should do it this way. The world's wisdom is foolish. foolish. God's wisdom is found fully in Christ because he says, but we have the mind of Christ. God's wisdom is found fully in Christ because we have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean there's a Vulcan mind meld with him and and everything that he knows we're going to be able to know. It just means that the natural man can't understand and, and make judgments. But we have been given the mind of Christ because we have the spirit of Christ living in us. If we have God's spirit, then we have Christ's spirit. If we have the mind of the spirit who knows all of God, we have potentially to us the mind of Christ that he would reveal to us all that we need to know. We have the mind of Christ, by the way, not just you, we, he says in the plural. The wisdom that's given is given, it's given to each and every one of us individually who have the Spirit, but it's all given, also given collectively because the Spirit is in us, but he's also within us. So just because you have the mind of Christ, that doesn't mean you are infallible, nor am I. That's why we, we always must check each other by what the Word of God says. The mind of Christ if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. I always think of it this way. I don't know if you ever think through the uh, um, the, uh, the the armor of God, shod your, sheet, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and. And gird yourself with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of salvation. I always think of it like this. We are to think Christ-like thoughts. We've been given the mind of Christ in the word of God. And we're to renew our mind with the things that Christ would view. How he sees things. That's what the mind of Christ is. It has been given to us by the spirit through the word of God. And it is available to us has been given to us. So in conclusion, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I hope you do. I, I understand, like all of us, it's 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 funny how this happens. We will talk about God the Father, we'll talk about Jesus Christ for weeks on end, months on end, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah. The Holy Spirit. Right? Or we, you know, just we come across a passage in in our Bible reading is, oh, yeah, I forgot about the Holy Spirit. We have a tendency to forget the spiritual dynamic by which we know all truth. It is only through him. And we must believe in him and live that way. In fact, I think all he is saying is this. And this is kind of long. The mature Christian is the spiritual Christian. And the spiritual Christian is the one who evaluates and lives all of life by the truth and the power of God's Spirit. The mature Christian is the spiritual Christian. And that person evaluates and lives all of life, not just church life, not just what happens at 9 a.m. or 1045 on Sunday mornings or life group but all of life by the truth and the power of God's spirit because he never leaves us so we who have the spirit we recognize this incredible new covenant in which we live whereby God has given his spirit to us where we understand all things spiritual even though we're finite God through his spirit has given us all that we need all the truths that we will ever need. He will reveal to it as we have need. They're right at our fingertips because His Spirit dwells in each and every one of us. Naturally, we can't know all things because we're finite. But God always reveals just what we need to know. For salvation, for our growth, for His glory. And we have it through the mind of Christ. By the way, in these days, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. This is, if, it, it's not enough to think that, well, I'm just going to pray and ask God to, to reveal truth to, to me. It comes through here. You heard me say the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. That's the Christian life right there. And he uses the Word of God. This is the primary means by which spiritual truth is conveyed to us by his Spirit. So we're not to think that these truths come apart from the book. We're to be people of the book, but we should never be just people of the book and not of the spirit. We must always remember that God is using this to change this. And lastly, by his spirit, set your mind on the mind of Christ. Set your mind on the mind of Christ. I was thinking this week of Colossians 3, 1 through 3. This pulls it together for me. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, have you? You have been crucified with Christ and buried with Christ, and you've been raised with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places. If you have been raised up with Christ, O oh believer, and you have, keep seeking the things above, not the things below. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. But he makes known to us all of these truths. Father, we're grateful for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We're grateful for the truth of the gospel We ask that we would be mature in spiritual people, that we would not live like the world, that we would not be attached to the things that are passing away, but that we would ever grow closer and more like Jesus Christ as we renew our minds by your Spirit. Thank you for these truths. And may we evaluate all things in our lives by the power of the Spirit who is given to us through your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.